The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, reveling in all this great fall weather. An author I follow on Instagram posted over the weekend that in the fall, she feels like she's paparazzi for the trees. And I feel that deeply. Every leaf, every fall bloomer has me snapping a photo. I cannot get enough. Speaking of not being able to get enough, this week we have a fantastic guest whom I'm keen to make into my new best friend. Marty Collins is an environmental and land use attorney, as well as a board member of the American Water Security Project. She is passionate about helping communities achieve coastal resilience. No easy feat with increased pressures due to intense storms and frankly, the desire to live on the coast. She makes a compelling case for why climate change and increased storms put pressures on the built and natural environment. And she shares some personal stories too. So stay tuned listeners, you won't want to miss my conversation with Marty Collins coming up next. Welcome back, listeners. I'm really happy um, and pleased to present to you today, Marty Collins. She is a land and environmental land use and environmental attorney working with the American Security Project. Our friends there, you may remember them from season one. Marty, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I thought it would be really interesting for our listeners if we could just talk a little bit about some of the challenges that are facing probably not just Florida, but all of our coastal communities. And I read something, and you may know this stat better than I do. I think it's 40% of Americans live within a mile of the coast. Is that the right stat as far as you know? That sounds about correct. And I mean, given our entire country and the interior of our country, um, that is just an incredible statistic. An incredible statistic. And so obviously you're coming off the heels of um, Hurricane Ian and still a lot of people, you know, unfortunately the death count continues to go up and people are still assessing the damage. But as we think about rising sea levels, that's not going to change. Stronger storms, more intense storms, that's not going to change. How do you, committed to being in Florida, think about coastal resiliency and human resiliency with those um, factors in mind? That's an interesting question because for me personally, I love the ocean. I love the coast. And in particular, I love the Gulf of Mexico. My, my heart and my soul are in the Gulf Coast. I went to school in New Orleans. I now live in St. Petersburg. My office is in Tampa <laughs> on <laughs> Davis Island. So um, in this instance, you know, personally, it was a matter of securing our home. Um, do we evacuate? Do we not evacuate? I feel Tampa got a lot of attention versus Southwest Florida. Um, and there's that trauma that goes with it. Am I going to lose my neighborhood? Am I going to lose my entire community? And as anyone will tell you, when they board up to go evacuate, you tend to look over your shoulder take a deep breath and realize you might lose everything. 
that's, that's very uh, traumatic. And even when you come back and even when you take the boards down and, and you're fine, you realize what could have happened on a professional level. I'm an environmental and I'm a land use attorney. And those areas of laws intersect like no other when you're dealing with coastal resiliency. Coastal resiliency isn't just about protecting the sand dunes or the beaches or the marshes. It's also about land planning, zoning for resiliency, setting yourself up so that you can recover from these storms more quickly and not incur as much damage um, to limit the damage in essence. And it's kind of a unique intersect. But for me professionally and personally, it's really hard when it all comes together. I mean, it must be a really difficult formula because you have local ordinances that you have to adhere to, and then you probably have some statewide ones and then federal laws as well. And so you kind of have to balance or have all three of those balls in the air. And also you're responding to pressures and people that want to move to Florida. I understand, as I told you before the call, I have many friends who are looking forward to the day they can retire in Florida. I'm going North because I, I, I like the cold. I like the winter, but, um, but there's a lot of pressures. There are a lot of pressures that are human caused. And then we have pressures now that are environmental and together it just see, I, I have a hard time seeing how we balance that, how we balance the desire to be, to live on the coast with the dangers that are going to be presented. You know, I'm kind of at a point in my career where I really don't know if you can balance it. I mean, you hear the expression work-life balance. I don't know about you, but I haven't achieved that yet. So I don't really know if balance is the accurate word. I think, you know, people moving to Florida that haven't been raised in this area need to understand, and it's a legal term called assumption of risk. Mm -hmm. This is not an easy place to live. I think everybody thinks that they're just going to, you know, set up their beach house or in a little island community, have their tiki bar and go watch sunsets the rest of their lives. And that's I mean, that just not awesome. the reality. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just not the reality. Um, and I think, you know, maybe that was once, once, you know, in a former time. Um, but I, I just look at these communities that have been so hard hit. And I think it can happen pretty much anywhere, anytime, if you're going to live in this state. I mean, if you're looking at even the middle of the state in Orlando, Orlando was impacted by this storm. Mm -hmm. So I think it just needs to be understood that there's an assumption of risk that if you move to the state, you are going to be dealing with climate issues, sea level rise issues, uh, stronger storms and flooding and insurance issues. Ding, 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 ding. I was thinking when you said <laughs> assumption of risk, the first word that came to my mind was insurance, because I think it is going to be harder and harder for underwriters to justify covering homes that are repeatedly in the potential path of storms. And, and listeners, we will have someone on this show later this season who, who is an expert on insurance and can speak more in depth about that. Um, Marty, something I wanted to touch on that you've already mentioned is the trauma, because maybe if you, if you've grown up in Florida, not that you don't have the trauma, but you understand it. And if you're moving down there, you know, as a retiree or because you just want to relocate, or maybe you're in the military and that's where you can settle. And it seems like a, a, for all the reasons you listed a wonderful place to be, 
the the trauma isn't just something that happens if you're in the eye of the storm, whether, as you said, you might, you might be on the path and you don't know, you don't, you know, these things can swerve at the last minute and they can um, also, there can be impacts well after the storm has actually left the region with some of the storm surge and stuff. So talk about that trauma and how, what we can do, like what, what can we do as a community so that we are ensuring that it's not just about the safety of the buildings and protecting the buildings, but that we preserve the people that make up a community. A lot of people, you know, experience trauma in different ways, right? We're all human beings. I think, you know, what you and I were talking about before, um, what I'm seeing the more and more I live here. And as I shared with you before, I had lived in New Orleans, you know, I've lived in St. Petersburg, Florida, um, pretty much grew up on Sanibel and Marco Island. These are very near and dear places to my heart. And with my job being um, an environmental and land use attorney, specifically in, in coastal resiliency, what you start to see is that anybody who lives in any of these impact areas, even if you're not directly hit, you understand what has happened to the community just north of you, just south of you, and another state on the coast. And for example, with Hurricane Ian, you know, I'm located, my house is located in St. Petersburg, Florida. Do I think I'm in a flood zone? No, found out that I am. And even I should know better. (laughs) This is what I do for a living. Um, But I have access to some of the top experts in the world who can put a pin on my house and tell me if I need to evacuate or not. You would think that that would relieve some of my own personal trauma, but it doesn't. You know, we have to board up our house. I have to figure out what I'm going to do um, with my two young daughters, um, you know, my husband and our businesses. And even though we boarded up and even though we were very fortunate, you, like I said, you, you before you board up your house, you go to evacuate and you're going to look over your shoulder before you get in your car and say goodbye to your house. Uh, That's just a process that I have found myself doing. And you need to be prepared to say goodbye. And not only goodbye to your house, but your favorite tree, your birds that you love, Mm -hmm. your entire neighborhood. And that's if you have the good fortune to be able to afford to leave or the physical means to leave. So think about the trauma for the people who are being told a cat four storm is headed your way and they can't do anything. Yeah. They have to sit there and pray and hope that it's just not going to hit them. So even if it veers away, you're still experiencing this trauma. And I mean, I've stayed for storms and I've run into problems. I have left for storms and I've run into problems. There's, there's no easy fix and there's no easy evacuation plan, (laughs) you know, and I think people take for granted that everybody can just pick up and leave. When you, you had mentioned New Orleans, when you look at um, post-Hurricane Katrina, I don't remember what percent, but a really large percent of the people that fled opted to not go back. And that totally changes the makeup of a community. 
Absolutely. It makes that, uh, it changes the makeup community and it certainly changed the makeup of New Orleans. I think a lot of people would tell you, you know, the culture of New Orleans changed after Hurricane Katrina. Um, you know, Southwest Florida, as we know it, might not ever be the same. That's Southwest Florida. I'm not just saying a particular city or exactly. a particular beach. Exactly. Um, and I, I think, you know, I know where I live, I was just trying to get neighbors to understand just to help them even evacuate. Everything you see around you could be gone. Yeah. Do you want to sit through that and watch it happen? Or right. do you want to get in your car and go? Well, a majority of the people I spoke to evacuated to Orlando. Mm. I mean, yeah. what are you going <laughs> to do? What are you, what are you going to do? Uh, so again, there's, I just, I think as, as a society, we need to start looking into, you know, when we talk about rebuilding, when we talk about resiliency, I feel that these are becoming words that are short-term words that are there to make people who are experiencing this trauma feel better. But ultimately as a society, what are we doing? Are we setting our, our communities up for more trauma by not planning properly, by not protecting members of our society, of our mm. culture, of our state, of our country from, you know, building in these areas and how can we best help them if they, if they do lose everything? How do we support them if they do choose not to rebuild? Mm-hmm. because that probably is the best decision for them. But how do we support them in that? You know, I think those are all really excellent questions that neither you nor I have answers to. And, and as you were talking, I was thinking about something that last week's guest, Nicole Kirchhoff, who you know, I believe for the, from the American Water Security Project um, overlap, she was talking about how you know, for New Orleans, they could build a bigger and better levee, right, to protect it from the next storm. But you can't just put a levee around Florida that the makeup of the people will try, I'm sure, <laughs> <laughs> but that it's the ground is so porous that the water doesn't just need to crash in a, as a wave or as a high tide, it seeps up through the water table. And mm-hmm. so that is something that you can't, you can't sort of jerry-rig your way out of that kind of thing happening you can't macgyver a solution to an area's natural built environment so we as humans have decided we want to live in florida we created all sorts of infrastructure and it almost feels a little bit like the environment's like whoa 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 wait (laughs) hold on we're taking it back and that's i completely agree with that sentiment (laughs) It's hard because, you know, you do, you are a very populous state. And again, with a lot of beauty and, and a way of life that people want to be part of. And um, now I, my mind is just going back to this assumption of risk, risk. So I don't know that I necessarily had a point with that. I just, it, it, it's something that I've long thought of as somebody who worked on Everglades restoration, um, you know, 20 years ago, which I don't be- cannot believe that was 20 years ago. That was really just like five years ago. But I used to think that a lot, you know, you had the Corps of Engineers earlier in the, uh, the 20th century, kind of doing making all their canals and trying to tame the ecosystem. And in the process, making things like flooding, more risky, like making them, uh, those floods happen more frequently that they, they sort of destroy the natural protections than a, an area 
can get from its natural environment. And now we're re-undoing all the things that the core did to try to restore um, that natural beauty. So let me just bookmark that. So with Everglades, Everglades restoration, right, we seem to have hopefully learned the lesson that we tried to contain it, we tried to canal it, levy it, whatever, and now we're undoing all of that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So let's, how, let's look at how that applies to our coastlines. We are doing beach dredge and fill projects. Mm-hmm. We are encouraging growth on these islands. We are creating huge bridges where they used to just be causeways. Mm -hmm. We are using seawalls while at the same time we're cutting down the mangroves. In that instance with the Everglades comparison, in my experience doing coastal work, it really is fascinating to me that we can't apply the lessons we have learned from Everglades restorations to our coastlines. Because a big thing we can do is accept the fact that the beaches move. Maybe take some comfort in that sandbar that you like to swim out to and look Mm -hmm. for sand dollars is a process that's going to actually bring sand back onto the beach. Mm -hmm. Um, Understand that if you build a seawall, that is a false sense of security yes. in the light, in light of sea level rise. That's just going to go right over. And not only that, it increases erosion around mm-hmm. you to your neighbors. Let's maybe look at a mangrove and go, oh, gosh, that's obstructing my view of the water. And not cut it down, but maybe look at it and go, you know what? That's just adding some greenery to an otherwise blue view that right. could help protect my property. I think there are things that we can do. Mother nature will always win, but you know what? Mother nature also heals. Mm -hmm. And I think as humans, we don't look at ourselves as part of nature. We look at ourselves as either above or separate from, or that it's something to conquer. (laughs) Exactly. And I just, you know, you brought up that Everglades example. And I use that all the time when we're talking about coastal resiliency and how we need to look at our coastlines you know, when you're looking at these homes that are just built on sand dunes and have just cleared away the mangroves and are just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how strong you build that house. I mean, look at images around you right now. That building's going to eventually fall into the water. I mean, there's a great example of Cape Romano, that building that was, um, that home, the dome home, that was built, you know, as man's greatest achievement to, you know, survive hurricanes. Well, after three, that sucker just got taken out by Ian. Yeah. It's done. It sounds like the I Titanic, mean, right? Anytime well, you say something is exactly. indestructible. <laughs> That's exactly right. If you tell me I promise the ship won't sink, in my mind, I'm going, it, this sucker's going down. <laughs> we now continue on the Eco Right Speaks podcast. Visit republicen.org online to sign up and stand with us. So when you were talking about mangroves, it reminded me um, after Katrina, I know um, I was working at the National Wildlife Federation at the time, and we talked a lot about in in Louisiana, it wasn't mangroves, it was the wetlands, right? So they filled mm-hmm. the wetlands, but those wetlands provide speed bumps for storms. And so mm-hmm. would you say the mangroves sort of play that same role in Florida that they, they can kind of slow things down, their resistance? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, 
The best way I can compare it to for many people who don't live on the coast is if you live um, on a hill and you have some trees and you have some grass and the roots are holding in (laughs) everything on that hill. And if you go and you build your home and you remove all of that, you've just exposed yourself to what? Mud, soil. So when it rains, everything gets washed down. That's, you know, people seem to understand that concept, but they don't seem to understand it when it applies to a flat area um, with the ocean. And so we've got different coasts in Florida, right? We have um, the East Coast, which is very different from the West Coast. So in this instance, I'm just going to talk about the West Coast because a lot that I have learned, for example, are even the sandbars. You know what I'm talking about? You know, mm-hmm. so when a beach erodes, the process is just absolutely fascinating to me. The grains of sand that are on the beach are those grains of sand that are supposed to be there. The ones that are not are in the sandbars and further offshore because they haven't made it to the size yet to be actually on the mm-hmm. beach to withstand wave energy and to withstand wind energy. Huh. So that's why, for example, these beach dredge and fill projects. I know a lot of people are going to cringe at this. I will give the caveat that this is my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go for it. They don't, they don't last long they because yeah. the material that has been brought offshore, onshore, is not meant to be onshore. Right. And it's yeah. going to go right back to where it wants to be. So I, I think, you know, in regards to talking about a false sense of security and going back to what you were talking about with assumption of risk, I mean, I get asked this all the time. Why am I still living here? Because at this point in my career and my life, I have chosen an area to live that's not on the water, mm-hmm. um, that still has its risks. And I understand what those risks are. Now, does that mean that I wouldn't be absolutely devastated and heartbroken if my community was blown away? Absolutely. But I understand that that is a part of living here. And I just don't think a lot of people have done that type of analysis Mm -hmm. or have experienced that type of trauma to even do that type of analysis. You're taking that assumption of risk and... Um, and mitigating it where you can by not being right on the coast and, and it's your home and it's your community. And those are as important as the structure that is over your head. If not more so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I can clear out, you know, but again, I don't, I won't want to come across as, as being insensitive to the people South of me um, because what they have experienced is so tremendous I mean, there's no other way that I can put it except we're looking at Southwest Florida not being the same, not just the town of Fort Myers Beach, not just Sanibel, not just Estero, not just Fort Myers, which by the way, is not on the beach. Fort Myers is separate from Fort Myers Beach, but it's still, you know, on water. This is a massive, massive, massive loss. And these people are in trauma. They have lost everything they are going through it. And I think the best that we can do right now, if you're not in that area is look for ways to support these people, Mm -hmm. to help these people and moving forward as a society. I think we need to figure out how can we best protect our community and not just our homes and not just our property rights, but I think we have to look at this in a larger scale. Yeah. 
Well, on that note, I am, um, as listeners may have heard, I've brought this up in previous episodes, I'm writing a book on the history of the politics of climate change. And this morning I was reading, I have the print, part of the printout here because it was really small to try to read on my computer. Um, <laughs> somebody, somebody um, very lovingly scanned this onto the internet because this is a hearing transcript from 1982. Um, it was one of the first hearings that, um, and I know this is a name that's going to cause all sorts of hairs to rise, uh, hackles to rise, but it was one of Al Gore's first hearings that he chaired as a young congressman, 1982, he was in the House of Representatives. He'd had his first hearing actually in 1981. I can't find any record of that one, like no statements or anything, but this is the first that I could find a statement and I was going through it today. And one of the scientists who was a Nobel Prize winning chemist um, talked about some of the, um, you know, and, and you know how scientists talk like, well, we can't say for sure this is going to happen. But anyway, one of the things that they, that he said was that with, um, within 50 years, 40% of Floridians would have to be moved away from the coast, that the New Jersey shoreline would not exist as we know it today. Um, there was something else and I was trying to find the page where there was, but it was stuff that I'm like, okay, they're talking about 10 years from now. This was 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the, the floor, the flow of the Colorado river cut in half, right? <laughs> like, and these are things that we are seeing today. Oh, I mean, really? This isn't Nostradamus? <laughs> crazy right but oh and then in this hearing what was really funny is the debate was whether we were studying the issue too much or whether it was time to act and most of the democrats were like we need to keep studying because we need to have all the evidence perfectly lined up to get political will and the republicans were like we've spent enough money on research we should just do something already and so it's sort of cracking me up because it feels very politically different than where we are today Marty, you have been lovely. I've really enjoyed our conversation. As you noted before we even started recording, I feel like we could talk all day and someday I will go down to Florida and we will do just that. <laughs> I would love to. And I would just like to say this in regards to the, the paper you were just looking at. Um, you know, I just don't think this country is divided as everyone um, tries to say it is. If you look at where we are in Florida right now, Um, nobody in Southwest Florida is asking whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. They're all working together to try to support each other as um, are many around the state. And And that's a really good message to share. I thank you for bringing that up and emphasizing that. That's important. Like during these times, Hurricane Ian isn't like, oh, whose house am I going to (laughs) get? Exactly. (laughs) Are you blue or are you red? Uh, No. I mean, it's, that's why, you know, this is a bipartisan issue, always has been and always will be. And I think the whole paralysis by analysis time is over. Uh, This is here. We have to deal with it. And we have to deal with it in a way of looking at the entire community and the trauma that sometimes these events can cause to our community. Well, I'm really glad. And I think Florida should consider itself lucky that it has someone like you working on navigating these difficult issues and that balance. I know that balance is, as you said, (laughs) something of a myth, but the balance between land use and the environment and, 
and communities and, and the preservation of the things that we all hold dear. So thank you for everything you do. And your that's time. extraordinarily humbling, but thank you. <laughs> and uh, I hope we can continue the conversation at some point. I would love to. I agree with you. I feel like we could talk all day, every day. Price, I'm sort of um, embarrassed to admit how much I have a girl crush on Marty. She was so fun <laughs> to talk to. I just want to like have a Zoom with her and drink some wine. Like we totally hit it off. It was awesome. I, uh, you know, when you, when somebody recommends a guest for the show, we don't always know what we're going to get. And she was amazing. So if I had a penny, let's just say if I had a dollar for every time I think you've said that, or I felt that vibe after an interview on this podcast, I'd have close to a hundred bucks since we are approaching (laughs) almost our 100th episode, because one of your favorite things I always listen for at the end, I feel like we, I feel like we've known each other forever and like we could just sit down and have a glass of wine. If I had a dollar for each time during our podcast at the end of your interviews, which are great, they are great. I just, I'm like, oh, here it's coming. It's coming the wine line. Yep. There it is. (laughs) We should categorize them, right? Like who, who do I hold in wine esteem and who do I hold in coffee esteem? And who? Funny. Um, Is it, is it a uh, five glass of wine guest, a four glass of wine guest, a three glass (laughs) of wine, a two glass of wine? How about that? Could the scale be something like that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sort of like a rating, right? Like how you give five stars or two stars or what you can, I'll I'll give wine glasses. Yes. Well, Marty is a five wine glass show for sure. Yes, yes. So back to your point that I hijacked, which I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. I just really enjoyed that conversation and I found it really meaningful. And, um, you know, the struggles that people in Florida are dealing with all the time and someone like her who who chooses to be there and takes that assumption of risk, but also is trying to help so that in the future we do have the coastal resilience it being um, on the front lines of climate change. So yeah, yeah, no, I, you know, listeners, sorry if we're going to just inundate you with Florida guests, but, um, I think this is a real teachable moment and a good time to delve into these different aspects of, um, life, living life with climate change actively happening around us. Yeah, totally agree. Especially in light of uh, I mean, the, just the terrible situation down there from Hurricane Ian, and it's going to take, you know, she was pretty, pretty honest. Um, you know, I think she held back maybe a little bit, not knowing her, though, but it's, it seemed like she was just very open and honest about, look, <laughs> the situation on the ground there and, you know, moving forward, what the future might or might not look like. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was awesome to hear her candor. For sure. And uh, I look forward to meeting her in person someday. Maybe we can do an event down there. Well, you mentioned Florida. What do we have coming up next week before we get to a few <laughs> housekeeping? <Floridian>. Yes. <laughs> uh, we have Dr. Brandon Schuler. Actually, listeners, we'll just lift the veil back a little bit and say that he and Marty were going to be a joint episode today mm-hmm. because they um, some of their work overlaps. But um, he had some travel and some technical complications. And so... We ended up recording too late to merge him in. And then that conversation with her just went on for so long. We're trying to be mindful of your time and not wanting to drop a really long episode on you. So he is a co-founder of the American Water Security Project. 
old pal of yours. Mm -hmm. Great guy. Um, So looking forward to sharing that next week. Yeah, excited to have Dr. Schuler with you, and I'll be excited to listen in, eavesdrop on that uh, as I edit that and get that ready for everybody's listening pleasure, which you can do so every single week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can go to our website, republican.org forward slash podcast. You can go back and listen to all the episodes we've done, because I, as I teased just a few minutes ago, we are coming up on that 100th episode next month. we got some fun stuff in store for that one for everybody, but uh, thanks to all our listeners for keeping us in business, as they would say in the showbiz world, for um, you know downloading and, and subscribing and listening to the podcast, uh, you know, to continue for us to continue doing it. So as we barrel toward the end of season five, uh, getting ready for you know a new year, a new season next year, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun and excited to bring you that 100th episode next month, Chelsea. That's right. And um, don't forget, you can share a little video clip of um, anything about the show that you think is relevant, that you want us to highlight or celebrate. It could be a guest request. It could be a favorite episode. It could be just why you listen. And we are might read it. We might play it. It'll be a game time decision. It'll be a little audible, right? Isn't that what you say in sports? Ball? That is. Your long scrim is calling that audible. Yes, changing the play. So, yeah, we do want to hear from our listeners, and we want to feature you guys and, and your voices and what you've liked and, you know, what has stood out to you for over the last couple of years. So please let us know. Please get involved. Like I said, drop Chelsea a, an email. Send us that, uh, you know, a voice memo or a voice uh, audio recording or if you just want to send some thoughts that we can read, um, that would be wonderful because really it, it, it has been about you guys investing your time and listening each week to uh, our guests and our experts and the analysis and opinions and information. And then Chelsea and I gabbing here at the end and uh, covering lots of different ground. And I want to cover a little bit of other ground real quick and let you know a few new members who have signed up to stand with us uh, since we last came and talked to you. Catherine S. in Georgia. Sandra L. in Kentucky, Darian D. in New Mexico, Stacy F. in the District of Columbia, and then Robbie R. in St. Croix, the U.S. Virgin Islands. So appreciate everybody standing with us, which you can do so online, republican.org forward slash join. It takes mere seconds and is very easy to do. And we just love expanding our community. So um, you actually make a real person happy when you join. It's not just like a big, you know, your name gets lost in the shuffle. As you hear, we read the names, we look at the names. And so, um, yeah, it it really does feel good to see those numbers grow kind of one by one. Or sometimes it's five by five or whatever it is. Absolutely. Well, until we get to next week, we will have more. We will have Dr. Schuler. We can't wait to do it. In the meantime, get your uh, thoughts. Let us know what you think about the podcast, what some of the things that stand out since we began, oh, what, 2020, during the middle of that that awful, awful pandemic. But until then, Chelsea, talk to you then. See you later. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at republicen.org. Make sure to visit republicen.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.